0: I've provided something of value, and I think that that has always motivated me. And so, yeah, I think being here in the center, day in and day out, also just, you know, when we've got something yep. that that fails or goes goes south, it's you know, it's much easier for me to sort of action that and come up with a solution. And then after that, it's you know, my my day has taken a, a an upward trajectory as far as you know my motivation and and uh, my engagement. So.
1: Each day, across the country, there are thousands of incredible Centria team members working to better the lives of autistic individuals.
2: We will be highlighting the journey of these remarkable people and getting their unique perspective on how they stay connected to the mission in their positions.
1: And then I'll connect their story to a principle in behavior analysis to further illuminate the application of our science. We are your hosts. I'm Timothy Yeager.
2: And I'm Lisa Cunningham.
1: And this is the Do Wonders Podcast. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Bo. Thanks for having me. Of course. Let's just jump right into it. Uh, tell us a little about yourself, Beau. Um What do you do for Centria and and how long have you been doing it?
0: Um. Wow. So I uh, joined Centria about two years ago, coming up on my two-year anniversary. Um, I am the Area Operations Director for the New Mexico market. Um, I have, I think, what is, is, is in my opinion, the distinct pleasure of Supporting our teams, our amazing teams. Um, uh, you know, my my job largely is just to make sure that the day to day function of the business is is working right. Um, everything from staffing to just making sure that schedules and everything is aligned. Um, you know, safety, compliance, all those things are checked off, and our centers are are functional and safe each and every single day. So, yeah, all the operational components that go into what we do day in and day out as an organization.
2: That's awesome. Bo, a little bit. If you don't mind, I love that you just jumped right into work because I definitely—you're someone who I think is super passionate about what they do, and to me, I think that's contagious. I think your team really enjoys being around you. You can tell it when I, you know, got to visit the center. Um, you're someone they really trust. Um, but who
0: is Bo? Tell us also a little bit about yourself outside of work, too. I am a yeah. I'm a I'm I'm, I, I'm an avid outdoorsman, is what I would say. I grew up. Everything from Boy Scouts to, you know, camping every weekend um, and that's kind of evolved um, in my life. So on a personal level, I would just say that I'm, I'm a very active outdoorsy person. I love to be in the mountains, anything. Um, that led me down a couple of different uh, paths. I've done everything from rock climbing to um, uh, competitive cycling and, and I, I went off the deep end with cycling. So I would say that I'm a very avid cyclist um, on a personal level. Um, beyond that, I'm, I'm a family man. So when I'm not at work and I'm not riding my bike, I've got, um, a wife, we've been married for 16 years. Um, Hallie, she's an amazing partner and, uh, I've got Maxwell, who's my, uh, 11, almost 12 year old son. Um, and he's, he's an absolute blast. He, uh, he's also sort of fueled some of my sort of outdoor passion. He got me into, uh, soccer, um, recently and I, I was never a soccer player, but through my son, I, I somehow am now, so.
2: That's
1: great. That's awesome. Same here, man. My daughter's 13. We travel the country now with soccer and, uh, um, it's been a great experience for her and I to bond. So I, I look forward to that for you as well. And cycling, man, tell me a little bit more about cycling. I, uh, you wouldn't know it by looking at me, but there is definitely an athlete insulated in this body. (laughs) And, uh, I used to do triathlons and, uh, one of my favorite times was I had a trek 2300 a bike and uh i live near the sierra nevada mountains and used to ride 80 to 100 miles you know a week at least and so um tell me about that how often you ride and and what that what's the experience like for you and how does it just help you with life
0: yeah absolutely and kudos first off i mean triathlons man i can't i i'm uh i'm not a swimmer um Mm -hmm. i can run if forced to um but not a swimmer. uh but um yeah cycling i um you know I, I i i for me cycling was a way to sort of disconnect and just clear my head at first um it was sort of a uh you know um it was a mechanism to sort of manage stress and all those other factors in life um but you know i i started to spend more and more time in the mountains and i've actually ridden in the sierra nevadas out um out near uh um, nevada and, and um uh, 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 the california border so um, uh, riding those mountains is amazing, but you know, it was, it was really spending time in the mountains, climbing, you know, the, the longest climbs, the hardest climbs I could find was just something that kind of stuck with me. Um, I started to take it off the deep end. I went into, I was starting to do sort of ultra endurance efforts, unsupported yeah. efforts. So, um, did as long as, you know, 200 plus miles, um, in a day I've done, um, Everest attempts where you ride the same hill repeatedly until you reach the same elevation as Everest. Um, you know, I, I did an unsupported ride from San Francisco to Los Angeles. We did 150 miles the first day, 150 the second, and 100 the third wow. day. Um, unsupported, just me and one other guy. No, no cars, no, no, uh, no one there to help us. So, um, yeah, it was just like a weird, weird thing that I just jumped onto and kind of lost it. Um, but
1: did you go down the I five, just being out there pedaling. What, what route you take from San Francisco to LA?
0: Um, so this was actually, this was, I want to say 2018. It was right after part of the Pacific coast highway had actually eroded Mm -hmm. from a lot of the Mm rains and flooding. Um, we rode through the day they opened it back up. So we actually got to come through right after the ribbon cutting when they opened the Pacific coast highway back up. So most of our route was down through, um, Santa Cruz along the coastline, all the way down through Big Sur. And then. Uh, uh, through Santa Barbara and then down. So one the of the most
1: then. beautiful roads in the country is what you what you rode down. Yeah.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, there was there was times you know at the end of the day, uh, you know after eight nine hours in the saddle, um, you know, ready for ready for the hotel by that point. Um, but climbing up those those hills and just seeing the ocean to the right and yeah,
1: it was magical. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so what led you to Sentria?
0: Oh, um, you know, I, I think I discovered very early on in my career that I wanted to do something where I could help and give back. Um, sure. I, I never had a passion for sales, never had a passion for those types of things, but um, just always really loved the, um, uh, not necessarily charitable, but just the, the, the giving back aspect of, of what healthcare brings. And so I, I kind of got sucked into the healthcare industry um, while I was still in college. Um, and that actually kind of informed where I ended up eventually. I was going to school for um, my business degree um ended up as uh you know i was working part time to pay the bills um and I started off as yep. a as a wheelchair technician um oh, that's and awesome yeah yeah it was it was it was a great experience working with all the different uh individuals that you know need that type of equipment um and you know over the years i just i realized that that was my passion it was I, I wanted to give back. Whether it was through leadership and supporting a team, or whether it was directly through healthcare and just providing something that was essential to the community, and I think that was something that really resonated with me. Um, you know, I, I my last my last career um, position, I was doing a, an extensive amount of travel, and I was looking for something that was a little bit more local, a little less travel, a little bit more focused on you know uh, some of those other aspects at the beginning of the the, the conversation here with with family and, and cycling and such. So. Um, I came across a recruiter for Centria on LinkedIn and we started to have a conversation. Um I had a, a um uh, I had a very close friend growing up that had um a little sister that was on the spectrum and so I, I had some connection to it. I had um you know uh um, uh you know also working in the in the CRT complex rehab industry. I got a, a lot of experience just working with different, you know, uh, diagnoses and the different challenges that people face day in and day out and um I think all of that kind of led me to this point, and uh, as soon as I started to hear about the job and the opportunity and, and um, you know, the mission and values, it, it really, it kind of really struck a chord with me, and I, I, I was, for some reason, just right off the bat, really passionate about um, sort of the mission and what we were doing here. That's awesome. I think, you know, Bo. something that really struck me in the, a couple
2: of times I got to meet you because you started during COVID, right? So didn't get to meet you at first until a bit later is that you do just have this magnetic energy to help people. And I think that obviously is something that you've talked about many times here. Um, and I think, you know, when we met in New Mexico a few months back, you also shared something that I thought was kind of a cool parallel where you're restoring a mid-century modern house. Right, almost painstakingly yep. so, with um with your wife, and I I just felt like it struck me there was such a unique parallel with the amount of time and effort and energy you put into developing and caring for your team, really making them feel supported and kind of like bringing out maybe some of those finer elements in them, and how that really almost aligned with that personal passion point of just finding these really unique pieces for your home, really working on the aesthetic. It sounds like you've had some. <laughs> Some rough days with that as well, but have you have you thought much about that connection? It was cool for me to kind of hear the same value iterated over your personal life and your professional life, and really, you know, seeking out. I think, like I said, unique pieces and having sort of being able to see the best in things.
0: Yeah, I, that's a that's no. I you know, it's funny. I, I I'd not really thought of it in the, in those terms, but now that you mentioned that, I, I do sort of see that correlation. Right the um, the, I think there's a desire to fix things, to make things better is, is, always something that just kind of stuck in my head. Um, everything from tinkering as a little boy with broken VCRs to, you know, working on my, my, my mid-century home. That's, uh, been a, a four-year struggle and, and, um, passion at the same time, um, but for yeah, those listening I, I think, that may
1: not know, a VCR yeah. is something <laughs> that we used to plug these like VHS cassette tapes into and watch uh, TVs um, or t- watch TV shows and movies. So just yeah, you know. yeah, I, I kind of dated myself there a little bit. Didn't <laughs> yeah. I he totally
2: did. We we showed our son the movie Elf, and he talks about apologizing for putting cookies in the VCR, and my son had no idea what it was. <laughs> it's like this wasn't that long ago.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Oh uh, yeah, definitely dated myself there, but yeah, I, I I don't know. I think there's there's something that's just rewarding about you know the the satisfaction of of solving a problem, fixing something, right? Whether it's physical or whether it's you know um, a barrier with just being able to be successful with our day to day job. Um, sure. Something about that just motivates me, and it 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 makes me feel better about you know I, I've contributed something here, right? I've, I've provided something of value, and I think that that has always motivated me. And so, yeah, I think being here in the center day in and day out also just, you know, when we've got something yep. that, that fails or goes, goes south, it's, you know, it's much easier for me to sort of action that and come up with a solution. And then after that, it's, you know, my, my day has taken a, a, an upward trajectory as far as, you know, my motivation and, and uh, my engagement. So
2: that's awesome. I think like good segue here into something about that. We're really just kind of thinking about what is a great day at work? look like for
0: you oh great day um you know on a personal level i love engagement um conversations like this conversations with our technicians to me a perfect day would incorporate you know at least some of that time engaging the team conversations um i love that opportunity to get to know the amazing behavior technicians amazing supervising clinicians the just the, the, the amazing work that these individuals do day in and day out. Um, so that engagement is, is always top of mind for me. It's something that I'm really passionate about. Yeah. I also think it's how we, we continue to drive culture and a positivity in, in our centers and make sure that it's an environment Absolutely. where we can all be productive. Um, but, you know, I, I think for me a, a successful day, again, is, is just um, being able to check off some of those boxes and saying, you know what, I, I, I removed that barrier, right? And, and as a team, we're gonna be more efficient moving forward with our, our iPads and center. Or, you know what, we we, we finally closed out that migration for, for IT on on iPads and and I know now that they're gonna be much more stable and we're gonna have a lot less syncing issues. So it's little things like that that I think really help me feel that, you know, the day has been a success, right? That I can log out and call it uh, call it done per se. Um, but yeah, I would say that a day a day in this life that that I would say is successful is, is any time that we get to remove those barriers for the team and um, and create efficiency and success. That's awesome.
1: what what are you focusing in on now? Um, like what what's the thing that you're working on or that takes up the most like mind space for you as you you think about like uh, better supporting the the team in the the New Mexico area
0: you 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 mentioned it right there. It's the team. Um, I think our big focus right now is is um you know, I think it's a it's a blessing and a curse, right? Centria um, has gone through um, a lot of change. Um, uh, I think all of it's positive change, right? But change is difficult, nonetheless. Um, even sure. if it is moving towards that positive direction, whether that's change from a, a clinical delivery model to um, change in our operational processes. But um, you know, with that volume of change, my focus is always just making sure that the team has adapted well to that change and that they are um, you know able to sort of um, maneuver and continue to, to function on a day-to-day uh, basis and be successful, right? So um, my biggest focus right now is is really supporting the team and getting them up to speed, right? We've got a lot of new Power BI reports. We've got a lot of new um, data. We've had a, a, a big shift in sort of focus from, uh, you know, a, a clinical and operations field team's efforts and and, and focus points. Um, and, and so a lot of that is is top of mind for me right now is just Making sure that my team is up to speed and that they're able to be successful with their day-to-day jobs. Um, you know, it's it's funny because I, I would say that what I do is almost a lagging metric, right? Um, it, it doesn't necessarily affect the immediate, but the team that I work with does. And so, to me, it's it's I need to have a sense of urgency so that they can be successful day in and day out with their tasks, because what they do is far more critical to the day-to-day actions of of what Centria does, right? Providing therapy for these children. Yep. And so um, for me, it's it's really just, I, I'm top of mind right now is just to get my team up to speed and make sure that they are um, firing on all cylinders, right? That they're a hundred percent and that they have the tools for success. They have awareness of all the reports and all the data that they, they need to have at their fingertips. And yeah, so I think that's the, the one thing that's consuming me most right now is, is just making sure that the team is where they need to be.
1: Is, is there a story or a moment where like that, that point that your support to others helps others live out our mission. Is there, is there like a moment in time or a story in which like that became like quite salient to you and, and and like resonated?
0: There is absolutely. Um, Early on in my healthcare career is what I'll call it. Um, You know, going back to being a a wheelchair technician. um, I, I, I lived for those moments of, you know, uh, nothing, nothing I think resonates more than, than removing a barrier for someone that is really struggling with someone, right? Um, and so I, I had a lot of direct patient contact or direct client contact very early on in my healthcare career. And um, as I was working towards finishing my business degree and, and you know, sort of climbing the, the, um, the career trajectory um, uh, and, 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 and focusing on my career in general, I noticed that I was starting to kind of be removed from that direct connection, right? Um, and I was struggling with that. I really struggled with not being directly connected to the client, right? And not really being able to impact them day in and day out. Cause that's really where I derived a lot of my, my motivation and passion, right? And it was that, it was that, that support of the client directly. Um, And so I started off as a service manager, I was a regional service director and area operations um, director for um, different organizations. And in each of those roles, I just, I realized that I was taking a further step. I was taking further and further steps away from directly impacting the client and supporting them. Mm -hmm. And and I struggled with that. And it wasn't until I kind of came to that realization, Timothy, that, you know, my job is bigger now, right? And and although I'm not directly connected to the client, uh, I can still impact that scenario, right? I can still have an impact in that, in that world. Um, and I started to just kind of gravitate to that as I I still have impact. I still have influence and I can still make, you know, I can still, you know, create positivity in the, in the workplace through what I do day in and day out. It doesn't have to be direct, you know, me to the client necessarily. And so, um, but yeah, it was, it was a struggle for me a hundred percent. And I really struggled with that, that transition sort of, moving into more of these leadership roles in a way from directly connected to the client. Um, but that's really when I started to develop more of my my leadership um, perspective. Um, Absolutely. And I think that's really what's helped kind of inform um, where I'm at today and and my desire to sort of help those that help others in a way.
2: I really I appreciate you sharing that, though, and I think that that can be a struggle for a lot of team members as they shift roles, right? And I think he nailed it, though, with leadership and that in some ways, although it's not the same sort of gratification as when you're directly in it with clients or patients, our roles get to be duly satisfying and that you if you're doing what you say you're doing, where you're removing barriers and you're helping individuals, you're allowing for what's hopefully a really gratifying career. For the people that you're leading and developing, and ideally leading to those patient outcomes and clients, and so I, in some ways, I, I hate to say it feels like selfish, right? And so it's not that yeah. direct line, but you know, you get to help both a client and a team member really realize, um, you know, I think certain levels from an outcomes perspective, satisfaction, what have you. So I think it's great that you've connected those two. Um, you know, I, I love to ask a question. I think you've talked a lot about like a why, just like really desiring to help people. Um, it's kind of interesting. Like Timothy and I have talked about this as well. Like I know a lot more about the HR concepts. <laughs> than I do about the ABA concepts. But, you know, we know this. And, though I think you've been through some of my trainings that, you know, if you want to coach someone or help develop them, layering that back to a motivator is always, you know, super helpful because if you can align behaviors to that person's values, um, just the I think the connecting of the dots and the likelihood of that shift um, is just so much greater. And so I'd love to hear, like, what are some of your personal values that you feel like have driven you to seeking out healthcare and Centria um, specifically as a career path, like, how does it align with those values?
0: Yeah, I, I think, um, and, and this might be a, a, a bit of an odd way to look at it, but I, I think I've developed more of those after working in healthcare. Um, okay, you know, it, it, it wasn't until I saw the impacts. You know, uh, you know, some of the things that I'm, I'm really passionate about, especially after being in the healthcare industry for as long as I have. Um, You know, we talk a lot about, you know, uh, um, confidentiality, HIPAA, fraud, waste, and abuse, right? Um, You you know, working with sort of a hard goods industry, CRT, complex rehab technologies is what it was called. Um, There was a lot of fraud, waste, and abuse, if I'm being honest. Um, And it was really understanding how that fraud, waste, and abuse, which is generally perpetuated by Um, individuals or organizations that maybe just have the wrong motivators at the end of the day, um, how those impact the end users, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, very early on, I realized where, you know, my actions, right, especially as a leader, directly impact the long-term future of of all those that are seeking those services, right? Whether that's ABA services, whether that's someone that needs a wheelchair or a walker, it doesn't matter, right? Um, and the more that we perpetuate those things like fraud, waste, and abuse, the more we we just we create barriers for the client, and and really they're the ones that are that are most impacted and most, um, um, you know, sort of most penalized in those situations. And I I I think that really helped inform my passion um, for for doing what we do, but doing it the right way. Um, and so for me. You know, I've I've left previous organizations for ethical concerns because, again, I think it's something that um, is is really kind of you know center for me, especially mm-hmm. as we continue to focus on that why and that's the client, right? That's why we're here. Um, and so for me, I, I think you know always always operating with um, a moral and ethical compass that um, is aligned with with what we're what, what we're doing here and who we're supporting. Um, that's a big passion of mine. It's a big why um especially after seeing again just the the detriment that we can create for these individuals and and um uh and, and and the services that they need so that's a big a big why for me is is always just making sure we're doing the right thing for the right reasons and we're always keeping the client top of mind right especially in in the healthcare world like we talk about client in in you know in business across the board but I think in healthcare client means something very different than you know client mm-hmm. if i was working at Verizon wireless and selling hotspots sure. you know um, it's yeah. a very, very different world, and so I think um, I think for me that's one of my biggest motivators is, is just always making sure that um, I'm aligned with an organization and with individuals that are passionate about um, you know doing what's eth- what's ethically right for the client at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think to me that's something why I'm even more engaged now with the shift on Timothy's team towards compassionate care. It's just like absolutely doing what's right by every individual client. And it just kind of brings that like value. We have a good ethics, moral compass, just to, to life in a completely different way. Thank you.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, Bo. I really appreciate the work that you're doing in, in New Mexico and uh, and your leadership. And uh, thanks for taking the time out of your day to, to talk with us.
0: Likewise. And thanks for the invite. And I really appreciate the time and uh, love what you guys are doing. Um, appreciate it.
1: So one of the challenges in in this podcast that I really enjoy is relating back to the conversation that we have with Bo and like, how can we learn a little bit about behavior analysis? You know, Bo did a a really good job just articulating why he's in the field that he's in, what drives him, what motivates him. But the thing that resonated most with me was this, the shift that many people in like a service industry go through from working directly with clients and seeing a direct impact to then being removed right yeah to It's got to be hard and it's hard right mm-hmm. um we talk about like positive reinforcement and, and you, you did actually a really cool job i don't know if you you know this but there's a, a field in behavior a part of behavior analysis called acceptance and commitment therapy and acceptance and commitment therapy talks about um, living a life in positive reinforcement when the actions you commit to and do align to your values, right? Okay. So you, 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 highlighted that. Um, and, and I think that that comes up when you, you go into a field to help individuals, you know, whatever industry may be and the first job you have is like directly impacting it, and it's, it's, it's salient. You see it, you, you see the impact, you have the relationship with your clients, you see the change, you see the support, you see the transformation. Um, but your ability to impact more clients increases as you take on other like leadership roles, however sure. that like, directness changes. And so concept I want to talk to you about is something called transformation of stimulus function.
2: Um, you gonna spell that, use yeah. it in a sentence?
1: <laughs> so transformation of stimulus function occurs when functions, I'm gonna I'm break all this down, but when front okay, functions <laughs> of one stimulus alter or tra- transform the functions of another stimulus in accordance to this relationship between the two. And so let's talk about it. Um, as a kid, uh, you learn this concept of, big, I'm gonna give you an example of big- Yeah, ins-
2: explain it like on yeah. five, please. Yes. <laughs> so
1: uh, you, we learn through relating in general. Um, uh, 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 language develops, concepts form as a function of relating things to other things. Yeah, Things are the same. Things are different. Things are in a hierarchical relationship. Um, Things are like bigger or smaller than things. There's a a lot of different types of relationships that we learn opposites. Um, but let's just say you, you learn as a child, big and small. Um, and let's say you learn in the context of like fear and things that are scary, that bigger is usually more scary right? Like spiders, spiders. Yeah. Right. And (laughs) smaller things are less scary. Right. So you learn this thing of big and small, right. And then you learn this thing of like things that are scary and not scary. And then you see a spider, a small spider, right. And, um, a small spider may be, um, and you learn that it's small, so it's, it's not that scary. Um, and so your heart may not race as fast. Right. Um, Okay. But let's say you walk into an environment that you've never been in. And, um, you see a giant spider, right? Hairy, those little fangs that are sticking out of their mouth. Um, you've never learned what this big spider is, or if it's scary or not, but because you have these other relational functions that big is usually worse and you know things that are scary and things that are not scary all of a sudden those stimulus functions transformate like transform this thing in front of you to where this must be really scary and so all of a sudden your heart races faster and like yeah. you've never you've never even seen a spider of this size you never contacted this but all of a sudden because of past experiences and how you relate things you're responding in a way that's different does that make sense
2: It totally does. And like, if I can sidetrack us for a little bit, I mean, obviously this is like a scientific, like a behavior analysis function. But like you see this iterate, it's part of like unconscious bias too, right? It's like this one thing happens and now you're relating it over here and like, you know, just says like we're getting more into diversity, equity, and inclusion with relaunching our committee here. Mm-hmm. Like this also seems like it resonates so much. Like even Bo's interview, right? Talking about the removing of barriers. That's like so key for equity. Yep. And, and this piece right here that you're talking about, it's like I can totally see that being a positive thing to some extent in mm-hmm. life and also an impediment in other areas the majority
1: with, of our mental health issues i'll just say this are a function of transformational stimulus function occurring without that, a healthy way to address those things right and sure. so, yeah i can um,
2: totally yeah i want to hear more about that but yeah. i can, i'm following
1: so like you're in a situation that you've never been in but like um, we'll use the word unconsciously, uh, behavior analysts, we don't really say those words, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll You'll stretch in that, <laughs> <into> that space. <laughs> um, you unconsciously start to feel a certain way, right? Or you're in a conversation with somebody and all of a sudden, I'll use another word that we don't get you know, triggered, right? You're triggered Proverbs. and then you start to like overreact. You start to feel yeah. anxious for some reason that you don't understand, right? Because it's like the stimuli that are occurring in that environment are somehow related to past experiences or previously learned experiences. And so in those moments, you have to be mindful. You have to be able to like, uh, create uh, diffusion. You have to separate like your feelings from your thoughts and know that thoughts yeah. can be triggered from a lot of things that have happened in the past. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're right or accurate or like true in that moment. Um, and so uh, there's this concept that we'll talk about in their time called psychological flexibility, which yeah. like promotes healthy uh, contacts in that, in that situation. But to the point of the conversation today, transformation of stimulus function is not always a bad thing. It could be a good thing, right? And um, as a leader, what you have to do as you become more removed is you have to start to relate and through a lot of history and, opportunity and like seeing it like this conversation with this staff, like then leads to this behavior change with this technician, which Uh then leads to this behavior change with a client. Right. And so knowing that, um, like supervision, support, management, coaching, right. um, Ultimately leads to like change in a client, um, transformation, stimulus function can play a part to where these conversations start to become reinforcing. Being a leader starts to become reinforcing because of a past experience and history that this relationship then translates to all this behavior change. Um, And it's like, you know, an easy example is, like having difficult conversations, right? So like having difficult conversations initially is a challenge, it's it's a fear, like people are scared. Mm -hmm. All of these things that they're bringing from their past to this moment. But the more that you have them, the more you start to eventually enjoy them because Mm -hmm. like your past experiences start to change as a function of these conversations. True behavior change can start to happen, results can start to occur in a way that, that you didn't. However, by avoiding it, you just make this bigger, bigger bigger function that you so start- you're almost
2: like reinforcing in your brain that it is scary just yes. through the process of avoidance for sure interesting yeah. interesting and so it's kind of you know some silly hr advice that we sometimes do have to give to new leaders is just you know the confidence is not going to come overnight right you don't just like snap your fingers you w- wear this new hat by proxy of role, and is this whole fake it till you make it sort mm-hmm. of a thing where you just got to take that first step. Like no one's rooting for you to not do it right. People like, people actually have incredible confidence in you, which is why you're in your role. So have that same level of confidence, take that first step. And I think what I'm hearing from you is like that first step ends up becoming this like positive trajectory. But,
1: or to, at least less negative, right? And then it yeah, just gets fair, more or less negative as it goes to where it eventually becomes positive, right? But yeah. Whatever it is, that first step is usually not as hard as you think it's going to be based yeah. off of all of these transformational stimulus functions that exist.
2: Yeah. It's interesting. And I'm excited to talk like next time about the psychological flexibility. Is that what you yeah. called it? Yeah. Um, Because I, I think we've even noticed too from an HR perspective, right? You, you meet with a leader to kind of talk about a coaching with the team member. And you know, something we'll do is say, like, he tell us everywhere it could go sideways. What are all the fears? Like, put it yeah. out here. And, okay, great. That's a great one. If that happens, maybe think about responding this way. What? What's next? Okay, great. If that happens, think about responding this way. Like, just more often than not, when you do that, you come back and you're like, how did it go? Like, yeah. Oh, it went so well. And it's like, well, that's because of you. Like, you prepared. You thought through it. Like, does that have anything to do? Like, is that potentially a concept of it, is just like working through some of those fears or what ifs that could stop you from taking that first step? Or like, what what do you recommend? For sure,
1: for sure. And I I think even just the act of saying what the things are out loud, oftentimes reduces the impact of them, right? So- Yeah,
2: you've named um, the fear, right? Yeah, you've named
1: it. So there's actually a really cool, a really cool technique that uh, Steve Hayes, has talked about CFA is like a, a big name in our field. A lot of research. He's actually the uh, one of the lead researchers that formed acceptance and commitment therapy. Oh, that's awesome. He said, if you have this like fear that's like in your head that you just keep telling yourself that, like, you know, you know, some even like the deepest core features, like if if people knew me, they wouldn't love me. If Fair like you know, all these insecurities, just he he would uh, say them into an app that turned those words into a rap, right? <laughs> like, okay. and, and just, and then you would play that and it would just make like, this actually is quite ridiculous, right? Like yeah. it just reduces okay. like the, and minimizes the impact that those fears have by just getting them out there and mm-hmm. listening to them. Um, but the more that we avoid them, the more that we like, we, like we, we don't talk about them, we don't bring them up there, like that gives them power and that totally. actually it increases it. And so oftentimes, and even you, you see this like, uh, um, I had a big presentation a while back, and you know, I was really nervous around it and just say it, and I would just claim that like in front of everyone, you know, I'm pretty nervous right now, and just right, by right. saying that and owning that, it reduces its its effect and impact on you.
2: well, I feel what's also duly beneficial about that is. You know, and we, we've talked about Brene Brown before, but having that vulnerability in leadership, mm-hmm. like it normalizes those sorts of emotions as well to give your team confidence in saying some of those same things and feeling like it's a safe space for that. For sure. You know, and I think especially being intentional about like how you say it, um, I think you're totally right in that it re- minimizes the power of that fear and can help build a bridge in relatability. Yep. And I think that's really cool as I think about that from a leadership perspective. Like I want to make sure that I, yeah, I guess I want to think about applying that more and how we can continue to support more leaders and my team because, yeah, there's just power in that for sure. And yeah, I like that. I think it's just, I'm going to think about that with like my business partners here. Like how do we help people? Like just name the fear. What are are we thinking? How do I help you with that? Um, Because I think practically speaking, that could really help us make sure that we're giving the best support to all of our team members, right? Especially when we're Mm -hmm. working with
1: those people leaders. Also like the the unknown is just inherently scary for for a lot of people, right? So the more that you can make it known and then make the steps known, right? And so you you do a really good job of this and um, when you're coaching people is like practicing, right? So like, Mm -hmm. just like you said, like Nate, what are your fears? What do you think can go happen that you're nervous about? All right, let's practice that, right? So let's take this unknown, Big hairy thing, and let's make this a very tactical thing that we can like talk about and practice. Yeah, okay. And the more that you practice it, the more that you access reinforcement for doing it. So it becomes this like known thing that you can address, it becomes less scary. Um, and it be, you know, and even if like none of those situations come up, just the act of doing what you did is going to help someone in those situations because they're going to um, be less, uh, they have less tendency to avoid um the conversation and, and really lean into it
2: yeah and this might be a discussion for another time and i'm kind of curious to it and it goes with something that beau said right he's like you know we're changing so much and you know i see it as positive but it could be mm-hmm. a scary thing and i think inherently linked and in change being scary is that you don't know what's on the other side of it yeah. just, you know the unknown so you know is would there be a maybe like a recommendation as people kind of go through these things, just kind of playing that game? Like the what if scenario, just Mm -hmm. what if and say it out loud? Like, do you think that would help somebody with whether it's a work change or a personal change? Yeah. Just kind of like those interrogating your own fears about it and saying it out loud. Is that like another practical application to just breed further confidence?
1: Yeah, even say even further, like taking it back to transformation and stimulus function, just the word change. Right uh-huh. so like the thing about behavior analysis and just like be- behavior behaviorism in general is that we are a summation in many ways of all the experiences that we've had right, right. so change change inherently doesn't mean anything it means different things to different people based off sure. previous experiences right um but i think that we could paint with a pretty broad brush and say most people struggle with change uh-huh. right and um And so when you hear that change is happening right the first reaction for a lot of people is this transformation stimulus function is probably anxiety nervousness worry like what's going to happen now like yeah and like and let's just be honest i've talked to um a number of supervising clinicians in the field who said oh another care connect change and they're like tim this latest change has been the most impactful and powerful thing that we've done. However, when I heard that there was a change, my first thought was, "Here's corporate doing another thing. Uh-huh. It's not going to work out. It's uh-huh. going to uh-huh. cause me to do more work, right?" And so, I think big picture is um, change is inevitable. And as an organization, we have to ensure that we're doing change well and supporting mm-hmm. people through it and people start to see the continued benefit of doing it so that we can change that history to where it is a positive thing. Right. And yeah. I forgot who told, it was one of the podcasts I was listening to recently around change and change management. I was talking about like change needs to become a muscle that's built over time for an organization because sure. avoiding change isn't going to happen as we evolve as, a, as an industry in in, in, a, in a world that continues to evolve. But to your point, um, like, yeah, like getting the fears out there, let's just talk about them. And Mm -hmm. I think this is where as a leader, psychological safety has to be something that you're focusing on because you need to create an environment where people are are willing and and comfortable to like speak out and ask questions around like what their fears are. People need to be like, feel comfortable and safe enough to be vulnerable to like, say, this is what I'm afraid of. Right. And, um, and as leaders, we have to like accept those things, talk about those things candidly, be supportive in those things and and really speak to um, the validity of like if maybe there is some truth in what they're saying or like what we've planned to address what they're saying. Sure. Because um, many people are st- thinking a lot of the same things and, and the more that we get it out there, the more that we can talk about it, the better.
2: Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting, you know, and you had a LinkedIn post about this where you had mentioned that you were rolling something out and you're really excited about it. You started to get all these questions. You almost took it as like a personal attack, yeah. right? And that's yeah. like a leadership muscle to work on too. And, you know, it's kind of making me think like, gosh, would, it, like, would change chats be like helpful, right? Like yeah. we're going to do this change. And I know you're not questioning me, but let's talk about all the possible fears and for leaders to be able to mentally separate too. Because I think change inher- inherently and questions, I'm going to like both of these, yeah. right? But- change to some people can feel like judgment cuz they can say you know i was doing if i was doing it right or if it was going well like you wouldn't do anything when to what you said is like change is clearly inevitable um just because of so many outside factors mm-hmm. right and i think if you could detach yourself from it and not internalize it you know that's always helpful but i think realizing that some people may see a certain change as judgment of them, like as a leader, you've got to take that into consideration and realize that some of the questions you're getting might be one is making sure that person does feel safe and making sure they don't feel judged because the change or the recommendation is to help them and not in judgment of them. Right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm already seeing the value in having a co-host. I'm so glad that you're, that you're here. Um,
2: I feel like I'm learning a lot. Can I just say, I think I connected (laughs) the dots on one thing here. That's awesome. On something really big where y'all are intentionally using this word shift, right? And I love it. And I'm like, yeah, it's a shift, it's a shift, as an industry, as a company. And I'm like, oh, is that now because of the negative associations with change? Change. Like, like, look at that green light just go off or idea light bulb, whatever.
1: (laughs) One thing you said that I've really, as a leader, been working, I've been reading this book called The Obstacle is the Way. Um, it's by this guy named Ryan holiday. And, um, I think early on as a leader, I saw obstacles as things to avoid or go around, Um, but like in them is the solution. And so by avoiding them, you're not getting to the solution. Right. And so questions, right. Like I used to be really insecure about like people challenging or asking questions or like. Like even like if, and especially when they were coming in from a place of like not assuming positive intent, sure. but in there is the actual solution to the issue that we're trying to address, which like, if they're not assuming positive intent, it's we haven't built a good relationship to where they mm-hmm. trust the organization. We haven't done a good job to where they feel like they're in capable hands, that, are, that the leaders are making the right decisions. Right. If they're asking questions, that means that like part of the obstacles, we haven't communicated enough. Right. And, and, it's, and, and at least that we haven't communicated effectively. Yeah. Um, and by avoiding obstacles, we're really like missing out on um, like the solution that we have to get to and and as an organization um, and even you think about change change is the obstacle for some people uh-huh. and, and we have to, and, and if that is the case there's something in there that we have to continue to evolve in to like find the solution yeah. to continue to like be better as an organization because the fact is is like we have yet to arrive to a destination that we're just going to say we're good as an organization we're just going to continue to pr- like function as we are now and if and, and if, if we can all agree that we need to like continue to improve, then we also have to agree that change is necessary. And um, yeah, I, this has been a really great conversation, Leisha. I am I, really looking forward to the, the future conversations that I have ahead of us. And and I honestly feel like a, a greater sense of pressure that I didn't even little like better prepared and like some behavior analytic topics that I can speak a little bit more clearly about. I do. I'm
2: going to ask you a question
1: in the spirit of naming naming like fears. Like I would say that, you know, some of the uncomfortable parts of these conversations is like, I, part of the free flowing nature of a conversation is like, I don't have like all my behavior analytic terms lined up. I may speak in a way that's like interpreted by a you know, PhD student right now saying, that's just not what that means. Um, so I asked for everyone's grace as, as we work through this. And, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking more behavior analysis with you uh, yeah. across this ep- the season.
2: I, I truly appreciate it. And I think there's just like, this is the perfect partnership. We talked in so many ways, right? Where I'm like, I wanna apply more behavior analytical concepts into leading people. Like clearly there's a science behind it. It's the, the foundation of our business, right? Mm-hmm. But how do we apply that to, I think, make it a more gratifying workplace as well? And like, yeah, I think one of my fears is like, I never want people to think I don't know stuff, but I'm like happily here saying, I don't know this stuff, but yeah. I really want to know it because I know our, 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 our field, well, you obviously are changing and shifting the field, but I think our leaders can benefit from this as well. So I hope these are also helpful dialogues for anyone listening.
1: Most definitely. Well, thanks, Lisa. Until next time. Yeah. And that concludes another episode of us telling the stories of our incredible staff and their work to support our powerful mission. Until next week, do wonders.